I know now what I want to say in my intro for my podcast. I'm going to start with a warning to other creatives. Create like it's your last podcast, last graphic, last painting, last blog post. There's so many forces out there that want us to be bland, and that is not possible with this fro. I have too many thoughts about celebrating us, reading what I want to read, pointing out donkeys, what links us together and shouldn't tear us apart. I also give you bonus content through Ten Fro's Bar on my Patreon and if you become a melanated nerd. I also will share content about getting the real tea on reality TV. Join me in this episode of Tim Fro is reading for the wild ride. And thank you for listening. So, closer and closer I get to the end of the season, it feels so weird. I don't know. I am in such a different place and still grateful for the journey I've had on this podcast. And just thinking of the end of this a season, another season, four years in the game, but starting to think about it this enterprise as just that. It started off as a hobby and it's gonna end as a hobby. And also considering not coming back if I don't get sponsorship. You know, that's a possibility. I did this as a passion project, but my passion now needs to pay and it's okay for me to want it to pay. I think I've actually had a pro- have a product that from a creative sense is pretty dope. My perspective is just that. But now I want to focus on other things and I have a right to do that too. Uh, Finishing up a couple of screenplays, entering in some contests and just seeing how that is going to play out. I am looking forward to the next steps of my creative journey, and I hope most people will come with me. And again, right now, I'm not planning on this. As I said, it's the third from the last episode of this season, and unless something dramatically changes, I'm not coming back to 2024, Um, and that's going to be okay, and I think I'm going to be okay with that. Or maybe not. Who knows? I'm an indie podcaster. I own the show and I can do exactly what I want to do. So, there you go. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading tin
It's in a book, a reading tin about y'all, but I find myself more and more agitated uh, with racist double talk. And not only am I tired of the racist double talk from this ultra conservative swing, I'm tired of them using woke still in a derogatory, like it's some type of curse or derogatory and and it and it just proves how stupid they are politico put out and this is through medpage politico uh dropped an article about the ama the racist republican party uh they are they actually have uh made a statement saying the ama is marked down in wokeism and they can't be trusted to be able to advise on even payments to providers. So they are using being woke as a means to, they're claiming that the AMA is is too woke because they don't want to basically cut payments to providers and probably Medicaid and Medicare program and probably through ACA too, because you know, they still mad about Obama being president and they're calling them woke. Let's, let's break this down for a little bit. What does it mean to be woke? And why am I talking about the AMA, the most paternalistic racist organization it now they're claiming that they're, Two, T-O-O, woke. And I say really to that. Let's just break this down and why y'all need to stop using this term wrong. To be woke, according to Merriam-Webster, is when you are aware of, actively attentive to, important societal facts and issues as far as it pertains to racial and social justice but we will only succeed if we reject the growing pressure to retreat into cynicism and hopelessness. That's me, because that's where I am right now. Because when you try, it seems like when people are determined to do the right thing, they basically, they try, the Republicans and anti-woke races are throwing it back in our face. And we have a moral obligation to stay woke Stand and be active. You got to challenge injustices and racism in our community. Fight hatred and discrimination wherever it rises. As a person of color, we have to deal, or I have to deal with discrimination. It could be veiled and passive and blunt as object. So we need these organizations to be woke. And even with this war on diversity and inclusion, Florida Governor DeFuri DeSantis, you're not going to basically push us into being just given up because we still got to point it out. And that's why I'm pointing it out because it's AMA is an organization 
that I've been a part of, depending on when I paid my dues, on and off. Uh, but it's 174-year history, which, thank you for hipping me to it, Republican, because I got to search it out. I'm like, why does this seem kind of like de facto and a little bit fraudulent? In its 174-year history, it has been mired in anti-Semitism, racism, homophobia, and paternalistic bullshit. The, the father of the organization, a doctor, what's this, this bitch's name? Davis, Nathan Davis, he basically drew up the resolution that led to the AMA's founding and holding it together even through the Civil War years, instrumental in making sure that the credentialing of medical schools, certification of doctors, when we move from snake oil to a really highly skilled profession, he and the founding fathers were instrumental in that. However, I belong to the National Medical Association. I belong to the Student National Medical Association. Did not know that organization uh, because of the initial founding principles of the AMA, there was an intergroup, integrated group of physicians that pushed to integrate uh, doctors, black doctors and persons of color into this organization. But the racist faction led by Davis to block this through parliamentary decision promoting and embedding racism into the AMA was basically in part until federal law outweighed it in 1964. So for over almost 100 years, they were allowed to be racist. Imagine that. And then some of their policies and what they will and will not engage in still until recently have still promoted inequities and injustices in healthcare. So with that said, so when you basically say we can't, they are basically saying, oh, you too woke, so you were not, uh, you, we can't trust you now. You can't trust that there is scientific evidence that shows uh, healthcare inequities uh, in communities of color. There is a uh, passive aggressive uh, approach to the administration of life-giving um, therapies that are racially motivated. We know about Henrietta Lacks. We know about that doctor that was performing um, Nazi era experiments on slaves and women of color, but he's known to be the father of obstetrics. We know all of these things and we got the records to prove it. I'm tired of y'all saying like woke is an adjective, it's an activation, and it is a way to basically 
knowing, not only looking at the extremes and inequities and knowing that racism plays a, a drastic part of that, but what a corrective course are you gonna to take to rectify that? And what does being woke have to, and looking at racism just for the destructive nature as it is and wanting to do better? What is, what's, what's up with that? What is wrong with the wanting to do better? And I never understood how physicians can be Republicans. If it just has to do with the salary, then yeah, maybe. And to protect that and to protect not getting wiped out with taxes. But what we are not going to fit to do is as a legislator, and, not, and you're not even a physician trying to tell me, number one, how to practice, and number two, that equality in all aspects of medicine we got we have to be noted with that and you have to use science based on your decisions because that's what we do all fucking day and you can't be a racist and still think you could be nonpartisan as a physician the equal the worst i've been treated has been with a white patient asking for where the doctor is because of number one as an african-american female number one like i can't be a doctor okay I'll send your doctor in in a minute. So I walked out the room. And that was recently. To me, recently is in this century, 21st century. I found it hilarious, but I think I was reprimanded by it. But that goes to show you just, and just how racist people still are. And you're not going to be shame people for want for noticing and being realizing that racism still exists. It still embeds all policies that make up this country. And we got to do what we can to decrease ongoing and ongoing destruction and basically level in the field so everyone could get actually good, good health care. But you trying to use wokeism as a means to not fund uh, critical programs and to basically cut physicians out on their pay because they're too woke, girl, go up, boy, bye. So you're going to use being woke as a penalty for being a good human being. Okay, great. Let's just try, let's just start there. Number one, I'm mad that it took the AMA 174 years to do the right thing, but I'm also continuously annoyed by this GOB, GOB, GOP ultra conservative swing and trying to justify being a blatant homophobic racist uh, uh, misogyny. You can't do it. Stop gaslighting us and playing in our face. For real, for real, y'all. And sit down with the woke. You're using it wrong. It's okay to be woke. You should be woke because history not only is going to judge you, but people are now. Everybody needs to get your uh, folded chair earrings. We're tired of you playing in our face. We're not that kind of Negro, and we will bust a chair over your head. You keep coming at us with this dumb shit. It's my home girl, Laquita J.L. Moore, Najee. Lift every chair and swing till all them white folks scream. Thought y'all could run up on our black king. I'm glad the squad pulled up 
dedicated to knock if you buck. May it resound loud as the rolling sea. Throw your hats high in the air until up comes with the chair. Swim the seas until our cousins come and they rescue me. Let this be a lesson to y'all. Remember the Montgomery brawl where white folks fucked around and they found out. What in the holy hell is going on? I was hip to this. I got, I think it was because of them we can. And so when I saw this um, headline or uh, tagline, I was like, what is going on? Conservative activists behind U.S. affirmative action cases sues venture capital fund. This is anti-affirmative action activist Edward Blum. And then I thought about it. I was like, Blum? Hmm. Who, what? Who is this dude, and why does he have a heart on for anti-racist legislation? So, did a quick wiki search. He is a legal strategist that is against affirmative action-based race and ethnicity. With a name like Blum, why? Evidently, he was raised um, in a Jewish family in Michigan where he went from left-wing, ultra-liberal uh, to anti-liberal um, to ultra-conservative fascist. How? He, was, he became radicalized with the neoconservative movement back in the 80s he got mad, even in spite of the anti-Semitism that his family experienced through his youth. He says the opposite helped him form his ultra-conservative views now. So is this a case where the... Is this a case where the uh, jailer... The jail becomes a jailer. Is this where he becomes, um, I would go on record to say this neoconservatism sounds like Nazi era fascism because he basically is fighting again, fighting with and for the same MFers that are willing to discriminate against him. It's like, I don't even know if he's kosher or does he profess of being a Jew, a Jewish person? I don't know if he's uh, in alignment because what he's doing with all of his anti, his racist stands with the reversal of affirmative action with now, the reason why he's in the news now 
is he's going up against a venture capital company because he says you can't use, it is unlawful to basically, and this is fearless fun, it's violating the Civil Rights Act of 1866. But didn't the Civil Rights Act of 1964 subjugate that? says barring racial bias in private contracts by making black women eligible for grant competition. You basically are violating that act. But the 1964 act basically said that you can't use blackness to discriminate to not get there action. So why are you now saying that it should, you shouldn't use race at all? He really seems like by making this a, uh, because you don't recognize racial bias inherent in every policy in the United States, you're willing to use, uh, rooting out racial, using your race to give you a one up on um, for venture capital or for some other type of uh, grant program to help other people to try to give us a one up when the field we know the field is not going to be level. Why is he? Why does he have a, such a heart on for this? He basically ran against someone and lost because he then he sued. The Texas, he ran against a Democratic uh, incumbent that was nobody running against him. Nobody was running against him, but this motherfucker still lost. I honestly think he still lost because, number one, he was Republican. Number two, he was not uh, qualified for the job. He realized that there, his district was um, kind of mired where um, we were separated into, like, all these black... Um, black majority districts and he may have been right but i would also go on record to state that those we were basically put in those districts to give white republicans um and that's wild to me the black his district was mostly uh black majority and at, at that probably at that time we were democratic but even though, but he still lost because I would counter that those districts were probably manufactured by white Republicans and they didn't vote for him, I, evidently, because the Democrats still won. So he mad because his uh, Republican Party gerrymandered the district, put us all in the district, and he still lost. That means the white folks didn't vote for your ass, but he still won it. So now you're going after the same, very same thing because you want everybody to have some, not use race to pump for some when everything else is white. But you still, evidently, I'm sure he didn't get a grant and it was, he was white and he still should have got it and he still wouldn't have gotten in. If there, what kills me is with people like this, they cut off their nose in spite of their face. Still wouldn't have gotten into Harvard, still wouldn't have gotten into these places because 
I'm sorry. Just because you're not good enough has nothing to do with you being a Jewish. It has you to do with you being a trash human being. <laughs> because I honestly think that's why you lost that initial election. And you're still, and now you've bought down affirmative action when we've only had, what, 40 years of trying to reverse uh, what happened to us over a 400-year history. And you say, oh, 40 years is enough. We don't need affirmative action anymore. Really? All I have to do is basically, I'm, I'm looking at this, what he's basically, the lawsuit that he is basically using for the fearless fund. And this is why people like me are looking for ways to free up our, our income because and it, and it keeps us, keeps me being cynical and hopeless because we got these fools using our own laws that were meant to help the population to subjugate the population. And you have some zeal and you want to become the next little Hitler. We understood number one, one Hitler was a sociopath. He got a whole bunch. He used the German people's hatred against his own race and orchestrated almost the almost extermination of his own people. And he thought he was justified in it. This motherfucker is basically wanting to subvert the laws of democracy and for equality and wage war on inclusion and diversity for what there is you can't justify this at all and crazies and not think we're not going to think of you as a fascist. I'm looking at you, brother, all, and I'm glad you, you partially shaved because all you do is need that Hitler kind of mustache, mini mustache, and you would be go on record. I think your booby would be ashamed of you. And I'm wondering when your mama said, when you became a Republican and you became the first Republican that your mother actually first one that she's met, I'm wondering if your mama would be proud of you and your stance. Because there's nothing you could basically write, justify in what you are doing. You're waging and you are waging every, and it's like you're trying to get them back because they tried to make you um, inclusive and um, stand up for what's right and diversity. Um, and, and is it like you're basically still in your old age because your ass is 72, are you still, is this the backlash about what you couldn't do when you were a kid and you, and you didn't want to be a left-wing um, liberal and this is your um, how you choose to, um, uh, the backlash of that, you're basically swinging to the ultra right because your family was so left swinging, but it's not going to obviate. It's not going to take away that this is so against all the tenets of your religion and just being a decent human being, what you're doing, it's just so disgusting and shameful, but you're still in your ultra neoconservative fascism, you're still going forward with this anti-human, good human being tirade. I think it's disgusting. And history's not, and as I said, history's not going to judge you harshly. Everybody like me, 
the people coming together with their folded chairs. You, you better watch yourself, bruh. And I'm just saying, this is, we're tired of people masking, saying they're conservative when it's obvious what you're doing and it's so bigoted and so racist that it's appalling and disgusting. The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. So the bottom line is the reality of reality, unreality TV. There's not a whole bunch to watch. I'm not going to watch Salt Lake City, Real Housewives. Um, high pitch. Karen's voices I'm not with, even though the real housewife of New York, this Bryn character is, she's compelling. Her voice, eh, sigh, eh. And last week, Uba and Aaron had the stupidest argument over a damn phone that Uba ended up losing again anyways. Also... I don't know about Jenna, Jenna, Jenna tell you that was the most real she was. And she wasn't even being real with the women, her castmates. She was being real with a whole bunch with a, a stranger. And I can't watch another season repeat of a real housewife of Atlanta because I cannot bring myself to rewatch seasons 14 and 15. I've gone back and I've looked up some storylines and this is reason why. Seasons nine through 13 were the highest rated seasons on in the franchise. They were averaging anywhere between one to two million views a week they were really making well candy was anyway maybe portia one to two million dollars an episode and they had the views to be able to afford that what i didn't see in seasons 14 and the abysmal 15th season is they weren't even cracking 800, maybe closer to 900K views per month or per episode. That's why I think they cut it short to a raggedy 16 episodes. And even then, I could have did without it. And they only had a two-part reunion. And they could have gotten by with the one part because the crap that they were rehashing was just that crap it was just like candy was just showing up because she had a contract but it doesn't appear that she was really present because i think she had some serious ish that was going on i didn't agree with the fakiness of sheree her non-relationship with martel and then she bringing up and having that hater sheet 
where she was um, dragging Candy, dragging Candy for being successful. Tags 14 years and running, and she by Sheree, ain't she by, she ain't not, she still ain't got nothing on that damn site. And also, it doesn't seem that production, production has a, a, a long memory. They're like me. They petty, and they hold grudges. And that's what I think, even though it would have been compelling, them either doing a spinoff or even highlighting Kenya's business would have been, you know, good, but she had pissed them all off. She kept things going. This is Kenya cussing them out, giving them the middle finger in Houston. People don't forget how badly you treat them. And they can be petty. And they can be petty baddies. And that's what I think they was. All of those things would have been compelling. If they had done and tried to do like they did what Carlos King brought out in the Nene Leakes interview, that that's her, his two-part interview still had more views than any episode of this past season, which is sad. But they weren't for the Nene shenanigans. They said she looked sad, so that's why they only offered her six episodes. And if we've looked back at the previous years, when Nene was at her worst from a psychological standpoint, when she came back, she came back ready to work. So, And also, why did she think she was going to get a buy? She demanded freak and fraud to be disciplined. Why was she exempt from attacking that production? Not the T-shirt that we saw her uh, rip off Homeboy's the cameraman, but when she jacked, allegedly jacked up the production person, why did she think that she would be offered a full-time peach, you know, when that was not going to be possible? Yes, she looked sad, and when she wasn't in for it, she could suck the energy out of anything, and we've seen her do it on reunions where she's sitting up there looking like Zoolander when she enters the room looking like Zoolander where her face dot moved because she's had Botox. She looks crazy. So that's one of the reasons they would not have been able to have the great season that they did have because I was here for when they went um, to Charleston or Isle of Palms, which is outside of Charleston. We wouldn't have had Bolo. Uh, we wouldn't have had any of the Portia shenanigans. And we wouldn't have all been creeped out with Portia meeting Simon Gabadia. And then after they wrapped, that's when they dated. And then they got uh, engaged and they got married that same year. Wouldn't have had any of that. It would have been, everything would have been about you and it would have taken away the Portia shine. And I think Portia and all of her shenanigans, everybody that's ever filmed with her has always said she's so much fun. And I don't think she would have felt as free as she did that season to do the shenanigan that she did that continued the ratings uh, onslaught that they actually had. So with that said, 
I think it was great that she could have sat out season 13, but until she sued them and alleged racism when she's probably, she's had her homophobic tendencies, they weren't, that wasn't going to fly. So I also am annoyed if they couldn't have worked out something and they couldn't have bought her back uh, and then she needed to have re-auditioned for her peach back. But what I do not agree with is because if they could have worked out something, they would have never offered Marlo a peach, a full-time peach. How are you going to offer somebody a peach that's never been married, never had any kids? We, I understand from the March of Dime benefit, Forces March of Dime benefit, she had some ectopic pregnancies. And then she did have her tubes rotorooted, but she's never been a mother. That mom tea bullshit, I think that was just for convenience. So I don't, but we never saw even that develop. Because if they could have bought back Nene in season 13 and her being a sidekick, they would have actually been able to support each other because Nene actually had some great stuff. You know, we could have, if she would have allowed it, which I don't know because she, I don't know how she would have made that all about her. Greg, his uh, cancer actually uh, never went into remission and it actually advanced. And he died somewhere in uh, during that particular season. And her son, they think he actually got COVID because I'm sure he wasn't wearing a mask. At 23 years old, he had a stroke and he ended up having congestive heart failure. And they think it was post-COVID related. And it would, and they, that would have been a real reality TV storyline and how she worked through that. Because that was even deeper when, before Greg, had his heart attack or when he was first diagnosed and came back because she handled that pretty crappy. It was again, all about her. She was talking about tuna fish sandwiches. He wanted her to go on with her life. And, and also they could have devoted a lot of season 15 to her rebuilding her businesses and her life, rebuilding her life post Greg leaks and seeing how her son had recovered from his health scare and how she came back looking like she did on Carlos King. That would have been two great seasons right there of a storyline from an OG that wasn't contrived and she could have given us details. I don't understand because that would have obviated Marlowe making up stuff and pulling stuff out of her ass from two, two, three years ago. And that's not a storyline that fake ass trip to Portugal. That would, they would, we would have not been able to see that. So instead of them having good storylines, they played in our faces with this BS. And if they had put Sonya through the ranks, she, I don't know if she would have consistently been, uh, would have gotten a full-time peach, but her being able to deal with Kenya and Nini, that would have been interesting and in seeing who she would have aligned herself with. Be maybe she would have ended up being more of a friend of the show, but definitely I don't think I would have bought. Sheree didn't make sense with the Courtney of it all, 
And I don't think the only person that really could have kept her in check would have been Nene. And if Nene was still more full-time, they definitely would have dared even to bring back Kim Z as a friend of the show because the alliances would have been clear. She didn't need to be back this last season. I don't know why her, her big blow-up lips were even graced the scene. And also that um, the other two girls from the original season, Lisa Wu and Le what's her name, Deshaun, they, they, it didn't make sense for them to come back because I don't know what they've been doing except for getting divorced and what actually have they been doing. That whole round table with blow up lips and those two women still didn't understand it. And I also think if Nene had been full-time, Portia would have stayed, Cynthia would have stayed, and it would have been interesting to see how Nene would have manipulated them <laughs> to support her or would they have more arguments because she seems to have this fatalist view of people that are not ultimately loyal to her. And it would have been also interesting to see more of Cynthia with Magic Mike um, and how Portia was adjusting um, to being with Simon and how Pilar was becoming a less shady baby. That would have been cool. But what we saw, what they gave us was a bunch of partial storylines, contrived storylines, and Marlo having fits for nothing. She did not, I, I, I honestly believe, she did not have a storyline. She should have never had a full-time peach. And they were playing in our, they allowed this woman to play in our faces for two years. She didn't even have a product or a line to promote. Because I don't know what the archives is, but her used clothes that she wears one or two times and then she rents it out to people. That makes absolutely no sense to me. So with all of those things said, again, if they figure out some way and they're willing to actually uh, have their real storylines on the TV, then yes, they need to be offered back. But people that should already remain friends of the show unless they get married or miraculously have a kid, Marlo, she does not need to be on the show as a full-time peach over. Monietta, I think as support, she's just so nice. I can see her and um, Shamia as permanent fixtures, but they would have to bring back Portia. Y'all need to cut the check and also figure out a way. If Nini is willing, going to be willing to come to work, she has a storyline um, and she's not going to be just walking around looking like Zoolander. She needs to be come back. Cynthia, same thing with... Um, uh, candy. I'm a candy bird stand. But if you're not going to be willing to share part of your life and to participate in the taping of this show, you don't need to be on and back to. So, and I'm also disappointed uh, because I'm trying to not hate New York, but that stupid fight last week between Aaron and Uba to give, I guess, to give Uba some screen time because she has to work for that check. It makes me think that, again, I'm tired of contrived and made up storylines. 
And if you are basically putting on for filming, I don't need to see it. But what I do have a problem with is I'm having a really hard time feeling that the women on New York are actually friends when the camera is not rolling. And that is the death nail. If you do a whole revamp, that it would put the nail in the coffin for Real Housewife of Atlanta because it was obvious this current season were not friends. And if you revamp it, instead of alliances, are how are they friends prior to the season? That's what I'm actually uh, concerned about if they do a rework. But it could rework because the OGs, with the exception of Sheree, it seems that some of the OGs from previous season, if we look back at seasons nine through four, 13, were actually friends. And if they are actually able to, we can see the dynamics of their friendships work itself out. Um, and they could be real with it, then th it won't have to be revamped. But if we get another, a whole show reboot, and it's like this contrived mess that's on Real Housewives of New York, I don't know. This could be, the Sweet 16 could be the series finale, but they're going to have to work this crap back out because I'm tired of them playing in our face. The last couple of weeks has been slightly interesting. The faux pas or how Erica Mena imploded her own time on Love and Hip Hop Atlanta is what I'm going to be focusing on. And it's basically, she's based, with all the stuff that's supposed to be going on between her and her ex, now ex-husband, Safari, and lack of supposed uh, support, but he got the receipts that he's been paying her. I'm not really sure about that, but how did we go from a verbal altercation with Spice, the dance hall reggae star, to her flipping tables and then calling Spice a monkey? How did that one statement basically implode? Because she couldn't retract it back. And then she doubled down on it by making monkey sounds. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was going to take the worst insult that she could hurl it at someone that is known for standing up against colorism and she knows probably a little bit more about how Spice came up. Everybody knows her as Spice, but her name is like Grace Williams or something like that. She grew up in the rough part of Jamaica, clawed her way to the top of her game the previous years, she almost died getting lipo 
and some other augmentations down in the DR survived it to come back. She's not quite back yet because it seems like she may have some revision surgeries that she's going to need for persistent hernias, but this is spice that I'm talking about. So they have this argument and Love and Hip Hop or MTV basically aired the fight and the aftermath of the fight right after the production company announced that Erica Mena, due to those circumstances surrounding her racist, hurling that racist slur, would not be asked back to film next year, which is big in reality TV. She's already been paid because they've wrapped. They not only have they probably wrapped recording, she's already got paid for the scenes that she actually for her time on Love and Hip Hop, evidently for this past year. So for them to say no, she ain't coming back, if they do like they do on Real Housewives, everybody as soon as they wrap, then they basically you're offered a contract for the next season. So this is two things coming back. Now we know the Love and Hip Hop Atlanta is coming back, but we also know that she's not. It's been determined, not even halfway through this season, she ain't coming back next season. Probably if they could take their money back for this season, they would, but I'm sure that um, clause has been worked out. Once you pay me, you can't, there's no take back season. Once that direct deposit hit, you can't reverse it. Snatch that money back out of my account. She got a nanny or a manny and, and miles to see. So her outlook for next year is kind of slim. She's working on some minor show, I believe, in D.C. I'm not interested in it because I'm not an Erica Mena fan. I think she lies. I think she is loud. And I think she's kind of dumb. I'm not too convinced of her beauty. She's just like any other light-skinned woman or a woman of color, lighter-skinned woman of color, but she's but she just has enough melanin to know for you to know that she's not spicy white. She is a woman of color, and evidently she's black, Puerto Rican, and Dominican. There's a lot of African American in there but she's still a lighter-skinned woman of color. And for her to think it's okay to stoop to uh, that racist slur with all the connotation and hurling it at a darker-skinned woman of color, that speaks not only to her racism, but also to her stupidity. Racists usually are not the smartest people in the room. They're not the sharpest tacks in the box. For her to be unaware of the repercussions of saying that on an all-black cast of dark-skinned people and how crazy it looks that you were once married to a dark-skinned black man and your kids are also black, how crazy is that? And why do you think it was okay? She thought her mentioning her son and everything I said 
was known and she maybe shouldn't have mentioned it. But also, Erica Bitter doesn't think that that the listening that there she's probably talked to her or it's been said about her issues with her oldest son. We've known that it's been estranged since she was on Love and Hip Hop New York. She was only saying what was true, but did that ever, but her mentioning her son and his issues, did that give her the right to hurl a racist slur at her? No. And for her to think that she was, they weren't going to sit her ass down. And why, I can't even imagine her thinking that a all prop, a predominantly black production company and the active producers of the show probably is predominantly black that nobody was going that she was going to let they were going to let that slide really they sat down uh roseanne arnold rewrote a whole show that was actually named after her when she thought it was on Ambien, how did she think she was going to talk her way out of this? What I find rich is that Yandy was trying to educate her. It wasn't her place. And that's the only reason why I'm kind of looking forward, because it looks like they have a roundtable by an actual psychologist um, to have not just the colorism talk, but also to just talk about racism and, and have a real moderator. Not like that BS they did on Potomac, what was it, last year or year before last, where the cast actually talked about it? No, they need somebody con that is truly qualified to base that does it for a living and that is more equipped to modify and have and lead uh, a real discussion uh, uh, and a hopeful discussion. I just hope that Erica Mena learns something and she's doing the work and she, cause she's not, as I said, she ain't smart, but I think she is teachable, but, and I don't think this is our overreaction of the production company. I think they're doing, they're making her do the work, not on camera, they don't need to pay for that kind of bullshit, but they also need to take the opportunity to have um, a, a, a deeper discussion and hopefully a productive discussion about racism um, in Hollywood and in this genre and et cetera. Also, I'm hoping they talk about um, Asian hate crimes and home, maybe some homophobia. Maybe homophobia, but there is nobody of uh, Asian descent on this show, I just hope that hate recognizes hate and they have a productive discussion. I'm watching the episode on season 14 where Candy has Candy Coated Nights uh, goodies delivered to all the ladies as part of their New York trip. What is tripping me out is that Marlo or Marho and Kenya are turning up their nose. And even Sheree, player hating Sheree, where she ain't buy, she buy nothing. She don't pay. That is probably like one of the most lucrative 
is still lucrative from what I understand. Um, her sex toy line. And I think they're all player hating her and jealous. And Kenya turning up her nose when she was, was it chocolate or whatever? And she was busting it open right at the time when her and Mark had started having gone through issues when they were in South Carolina. And now she's tripping out. Are they having a flashback to Bolo? And that's the, one of the reasons why Tanya and Portia not on the show. And both of them, I wouldn't say so much that Kenya is irrelevant, but her overreaction to that whole thing was what probably soured production against her. And Marho's alliance with Kenya is what how she fell out and wasn't invited to Portia's wedding and still not a part of her life. And Sheree's just player hating because she doesn't have the business sense of a tick to get anything and keep and make it sustainable. So what if not only is Candy Coated Nights making Candy rich, why it wouldn't, this goes back to my old lady gang march on BravoCon how Candy Coated Nights basically financed one of the women's ability, because she sold so much, financed her ability to be sustainable after her bad divorce and also get her daughter through school, which is crazy, and help her become a business partner in the Okoe Winery. What about that? Because there's nothing that any of those, Marho and her lay eBay used closed thing, because I have not heard about that being successful and if it caught on, or she buy, she don't pay, her clothesline not being profitable. The only profitable line that's really come out of this is Candy Coated Nights and OLG. So, and tags. So what if the, the, the amount of money sold by vibrators and other sex toys basically sponsor OLG going and to BravoCon? That would be dope. I'm really into and excited about doing the final touches on this script for OLG Takes. Bravo Con. I wonder if I would actually be allowed to use OLG or did Candy and them trademark that? I thought I saw that they greenlit um, another Candy in the game, and I don't know if it's going to be the OLG uh, edition, the restaurant that is. And I wonder if Marlo is gonna take some type of umbrage with it because remember she had this whole big blow up the beginning of the season when Candy's nephew was shot at um, Blaze or cousin, was it cousin, Melvin or cousin? I think it was a co Melvin or cousin, but it basically triggered Marlo's uh, reaction when her actual nephew was murdered by his roommate, but wasn't murdered anywhere at OLG. He was just, he had worked there previously. There was some talk at the time about uh, filming and having a spinoff of that show 
based on the restaurant. But I wonder um, if they would take, if it would be a trademark infringement, if I actually use that in the title of the screenplay. But I, I think it would kind of be cool because if one of the characters was contracting with Todd's shipping company, they would actually meet up every now and again at OLG to have teas and celebration of memorable scenes from the show, um, like Brooklyn's birthday, Barbie party there, um, in name of other rainbow kids, you know, like March of Dimes, having something there like that. Um, and it would just be kind of fun. I need to do, because I think there's a church that's actually around there. Because one of the women, her husband actually dies. A, he basically sponsors um, a trip. I wanted one of his, um, they're having the funeral at that church. And the one of his uh, estranged children comes up and basically either serves her eviction papers because he thinks he or she thinks that they own the home. Um, and they have an impromptu reading and they actually have to they meet maybe at OLG to, you know, talk about. Um, their strategy about getting the kid, those people out of their, out of her house, um, as well as the beginning of the plans for um, going to BravoCon. That would be kind of dope. I'm trying. I'm thinking how OLG, the church, and how all of that would actually work out. It has to actually be explosive. So, but who knows? And that's it for this episode of Tenfro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.